which is the plot to Highlander 2 The Quickening. <laughs> I, that's the one I saw, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. You and everyone else should just forget that movie. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> Live for the Mundangerous DeLorean in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 160 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're discussing the ins, the outs, the whens, and the hows of time travel. But first the rogue traders read a freaking book in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the Highlander is a cut above in the Character Creation Forge. Uh, so first off, here is a message from a fellow DSPN podcast, The Venture Maidens, uh, who we've hung out with, I guess, twice now at Gen Con. So they're pretty cool. Hey, everyone. We're here to tell you about The Venture Maidens podcast. Four lifelong gamers. Four longtime friends doing a real play 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Including such themes as... Ooh, awkward NPC romance. Darts to the butt. Chopping things with axes. Find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Twitter, Facebook, or Twitch. New episodes every other Sunday. Or every other Wednesday on Twitch. Check out our website, www.theventuremaidens.com. And start the quest today. Until then, venture away. And we're back. Um, speaking of not chanting in unison, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? The Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy's 2nd edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malage Act, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. And they are under attack. Whose fault is that, Shane? Well, I mean, you're going to say existentially that everything is my fault, but ultimately it's your fault for being bad people. What? The Emperor protects, as he has multiple times. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) If we were so bad, would we still be alive? If he protects so much, then why are the arch militants Traco and Trank manning the fortress walls while the Heretic Doc is leading the valiant defense of the gatehouse and about to get split in half? Because he's the Heretic and he deserves it? Well, that's actually... That checks out. <laughs> so while all that's going on above ground, uh, the nerds of the Rogue Trader Party, the Seneschal Tricks, the Quartermaster Echo, and the Astropath Flare have finally worked up the courage to open a book. Oh, uh, hey, great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, they had their own struggle uh, <laughs> deep in that secret library that they've uncovered, uh, you know, hidden within the house. Now, remember, Flair was drawn to this book because of the image embossed in its binding, a stark white segmented snake-like creature that is curled into a circle and eating its own tail. Which seems a little weird because like, at first it seems like a pretty unremarkable book, right? It's just dense text in like this old style of gothic. Uh, what do you call it? Proto-gothic? Yeah, it's like, you know, English. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or like Spanish or something. Esperanto. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, They don't recognize the script, but it does have a bunch of uh, detailed schematics. Yeah, so they're flipping through when Flair stops on a page that uh, specifically depicts the snake itself. Uh, Again, curled in a circle, eating its tail. Um, And, you know, he's had visions of this. 
haunting him basically since he got here and he just cannot turn the page so he failed that willpower test yeah <laughs> but tricks and echo um i guess succeed because also they're not haunted by visions of a snake crawling nope. through tunnels they don't really have a willpower test to make here they can just you know interact with book <laughs> go turn page and um they examine it and they figure out why it is that it seems so familiar it turns out the schematics depict the internal gearing mechanisms of this power generator that they found in the basement of the verza house those aren't ribs and and vertebrae it's uh it's just gears flare it's just gears yeah it's just the, the the basic gearing of uh what seems to be some kind of strange uh mechanical engine to be fair most people don't know what the hell gears are <laughs> well because that's all tech priesty nonsense yeah that's fair well, I mean, Echo would know. Echo definitely knows. Yeah, knows yeah. What gears Flair, Flair would genuinely not know. might not know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he grew up in a paradise world with servants. Right. And I mean, you know, Trix has been working a rogue trader vessel for long enough and working, uh, unlike Flair. So he probably knows what a gear is. But anyway, so they had been drawn here to find this information, right? Like, they, they always had this sense uh, propelling them forward and when they got to this library they felt like they were in the right place and flair was drawn to this book so they feel like there was a purpose here and and now that they have it and they're hearing this increasingly frantic chatter coming across their vox links from the defense up above they know what they have to do so the trio sprint off towards the basement and we'll find out what happens next week so this week we are discussing time travel now, Ishan, what does that mean? So it's a really common trope in sci- particularly sci-fi, right? But it pops up in fantasy sometimes. Like Rip Van Winkle slept for 20 years and now he's elsewhere. But in this episode, we're not just talking about uh, characters who are displaced in time. You need to be able to uh, travel through time or like return to the time you originally came from. Because if a PC is just stuck wherever they end up permanently... I mean, that's just Futurama, right? You're just playing in a different setting, but you're not actually involving time travel. Uh, That specifically means that uh, most of the adventures that you're running with time travel are going to take place or have to do with what happened in the past. Because if you're going to the future and having an adventure and then just coming back, it basically just gets rewritten. So like none of it really matters. So who cares? Again, it's just a different setting. Yeah, joke's on you. I time travel every day. Forward. So slowly at a reasonable pace just as quickly as the rest of us though i suppose well actually no um i i am traveling forward through time more quickly because i'm so sedentary that's how it works right it's because you're less dense it's the shared vector i i am extremely dense i'll have you know (laughs) that's what people keep telling me yeah according to my high school teachers (laughs) all right so first off a couple caveats. This is actually a pretty advanced GMing technique. Um, I It's difficult to do well. It's really, really easy to do poorly. As you can see from pretty much every time travel storyline you get in media and TV shows. Yeah. Um, it, it is a good way to ruin your campaign when you're out of ideas. <laughs> and like, think of it this way. In those TV shows, the writers have complete control over what happens. You, as a GM, you as a player, definitely do not. However, it can be a bunch of fun because you're going to get into these situations where like you have players and they have time traveled and they have no idea what's going on or how this works. So they're going to experiment by basically like kicking the tires of whatever is going on. The DeLorean, for example, or smashing things or trying to break causality. And that's actually kind of the fun, especially if you're a player. 
Yeah. Like a, a big part of introducing time travel is just trying to figure out where the walls are and then figuring out what the impact of your manipulations is. And that's also, frankly, where the stress of it comes for the GM is the players are going to do that. So how do I react? Yeah. Oh, I set up these rules. Uh-oh. I'm also bound by these rules. Or am I? Yeah. I set up these rules, but they've figured out a problem with them. How do I fix it without invalidating everything? <laughs> Paradoxes. I am every writer of every TV show. Uh, look, I'm just going in and I have no idea where this ends. I assume we're going to get canceled. Exactly. Like, this game's going to fall apart. Who cares? Right. <laughs> All right. It's so, a bit like this podcast, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, three years later, you're like, Ugh, can we just get six seasons in a movie? <laughs> well, only if we change our entire personalities. Ah, movie Ishan. He's so coherent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what are some of the methods of time travel? Um, there's a bunch of different ones, but each kind of time travel, like whatever you decide to use in your game or whatever has sort of been foisted upon you uh, as a player, needs to be handled in a, a different kind of way. And I think that the two main distinctions would be, is time mutable or non-mutable? So... PCs have time traveled. Is there anything that they can do to change the timeline as they know it? So Morning Glory, for example, was non-mutable. Um, if you've listened to the recap of that, uh, the party went back in time to right before the day of morning, and they didn't know this, but everything was going to play out the way that it had already played out and that history said it played out. Yeah, which meant that no matter what we did, the the day of morning was going to happen. Right, right and it was going to happen at the exact same time that it did happen. Right, which... I think we kind of caught wind of and then tried to punt responsibility on. <laughs> we're like, oh, wait, this is going to happen. Can we pin this on someone else? Right. I mean, the, I think you kind of figured out, oh, this is going to be our fault, isn't it? Oh, okay. Wait, it, can we avoid that? It doesn't have to be our fault, right? Yeah, it just has it be, to happen. Can it be someone else's fault? <laughs> <laughs> I finished the acceptance stage of my grieving and I've moved on to shifting the blame. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, no, you can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say this is probably what I would call like the second most complicated time travel scenario. It's also really one of my favorites. Um, I call it same as it ever was, right? So Morning Glory used it. Um, you might be familiar with it from the movie, the Bruce Willis movie, 12 Monkeys. Yeah, this is actually where we should probably just go ahead and give a warning. Like if there's a movie out there that involves time travel, we're probably going to partially spoil it in this, oh, yeah, in this totally. episode. So like if you're really into time travel movies and there's a specific one, Sorry. Right. If you are really into time travel movies, but haven't seen that many of them. <laughs> right. If yesterday you realized, wow, you know the genre I love, time travel movies, maybe just pause and go watch them because there aren't that many good ones. And then you come back. Right. Then you come back. So in a non-mutable uh, scenario where like things are, are just going to keep playing out the way, the way they did before, the main purpose of your time travel is exposition. The party is here to gain new information because they can't actually change anything, Right. They can, however, learn new things about the context of what happened. Um, it might be that they know that a particular person died, but now they know why that person died um, or who killed that person. Yep. The other um, the other thing that PCs can learn here is, is not what happened. They might be correct in their facts, but they might have some sort of secondary proof that they're looking for that they can then carry forward in order to establish that, right? So, like, I know a secret that only somebody who would also have the knowledge of what happened could possibly know, so I will prove to you that I know this. Yeah, I really like this in, 
like a game set in like the the real world uh, sort of like historical games i mean the thing the most common trip probably is like uh we're going back in time into world war Two, and we're gonna like fuck up some nazis like history says here's how these things played out um but there's a whole bunch of stuff that could have like happened behind the scenes that nobody knows how it played out right nobody really knows exactly what happened in hitler's bunker maybe the party was there mm-hmm. um, but yes it really does help to uh send your pcs back to some sort of like legendary event that you know is like shrouded in myth and happened so long ago that all we really have is legends about it or a really chaotic event war of course is great so there is one challenge with this you've got to maintain a certain level of secrecy in terms of the mechanics of time travel from your players at least until they've already made kind of their declarative path because if the players know that what they do cannot have actually affected history they may go off the rails then knowing that whatever it is that they do has now become the canon of the past yeah like that's the worst case scenario is they're like wait so every nothing changes right so i am I'm going to start murdering people and, you know, fireballing in the street. I guess that happened, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I think it's it's best in these situations to reveal that the party hasn't been able to change anything once the time travel is over, right? The twist is, oh, look, it turns out that the party is the reason that things spun out the way that they did, right? That's the 12 Monkeys twist is all of the actions of the entire movie resulted in what we knew was the beginning, like what the original character knew had happened. Right. Also known as the interstellar. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but mm. you know, it's, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of time travel movies. So right. I didn't go see, search them all out, which means you spoiled that movie for me. I tried. It's, you're terrible. <laughs> I warned you. I gave you a spoiler warning. Oh, uh, you did. Oh, but one fun thing that you can do here um, is like fate might end up conspiring to keep the players on track, right? So if the if the players are like, okay, whatever we do is canon, screw it. Like we can't change anything anyway, but let's have a little fun with this. Ha ha ha. We're going to blow up parliament. Uh, well, history says that Guy Fawkes did not succeed in blowing up parliament, which means that even if unlikely events happen to keep parliament from exploding if like the fuse goes out for some reason or like suddenly the police kick in the door and like capture the party no one can cry foul and say oh what is the likelihood of that happening like the the deus ex machina can happen because it did happen because parliament didn't explode something must have happened right like if you look back through history there are all kinds of unlikely events that occurred uh, but they only seem unlikely if you don't know that they definitely occurred. Yeah, like the assassination of, of Franz Ferdinand. Right, what are the chances <laughs> yeah. that they would turn down that street and stop right there? Stop for a sandwich. Nil. They, no chance, right? <laughs> right? That's ridiculous. Who would write that? It's full of. It's a giant plot hole. Right. <laughs> Guy's trying to beat town because he's like, uh, I failed. <laughs> uh, the the like this closed time like loop um, is a, a way that you can avoid like potential paradox situations too, right? Like the famous one is, oh, I go back in time and I try to kill my own grandfather, right? So, ha ha, I won't have been born and how could I then you know, come back and kill my own grandfather? Well, maybe you tried to kill your, your grandfather. History says he was not killed because he had you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess you didn't kill him. You winged him. Right. That That's why he limped all those years ago. That's why you recall him limping. Why did you shoot him? Well, you're a terrible person. That's also why he hated you you got crappy presents like i know i know i know you you shot me you suck 
so a benefit of this type of time travel is that it gives you lots of of space that's sort of like unseen at the margins for the characters to fill in for themselves right so they know what the large actions of the plot were but they don't know all of the details so they can go and actually create those details as their characters rather than just kind of scrawling them out as narrative or backstory or whatever yeah and it's a nice it's a nice sort of farming ground for a gm like the players will do actions and then those can all have consequences later on uh, once they return to the present, even ones that they, you know, they may not uh, necessarily understand until much later. Like, for example, maybe your player did succeed in killing their own grandfather. Well, since they still exist, that must mean that that person was, in fact, not their grandfather. <laughs> Doppelganger. <laughs> right. Or maybe grandma was having an affair. Right. Uh, what does that mean for the line of succession now that it turns out you're not of royal blood, sucker? Right. Um, and, and when you run into these problems... Uh, the internet is your friend. Like, like crowdsource uh, potential uh, lateral thinking, you know, solutions to, okay, I think my players invalidated my time travel issue. How do I fix that? Yeah, this is the uh, optimal time for like the, the knowing nod. Oh, that's interesting. I guess we'll see how that plays out. Right. And then when the session ends, go figure it out. Yeah, just make sure that you like <laughs> fade to black. Uh Right before the final outcome is established, right? You know, wow! Give yourself some flexibility. Yeah, these are gonna. This is gonna have a pretty intense consequences, huh? Yeah, you guys should get ready for this because it's it's coming. So let's talk about the next sort of time travel uh, archetype, which is the uh, the Groundhog Day. This is one of my favorites. Um, also, I guess it's what all you need is kill or like Edge of a, Tomorrow. Yeah, the Tom Cruise movie with eight different names. Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Valkyrian Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Ready Player li- li- Edge of Tomorrow. Live Die Repeat. Was that it? That's it. <laughs> if your Night and Day Tomorrow. Tomorrow never repeats. <laughs> Cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> It's Flanagan's Law of Time Travel. <laughs> that movie is so bad, and it did not age well at all. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. I don't have USA, so I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> I mean, I love Cocktail, but it is it is really not a good movie. <laughs> so uh, the Groundhog Day. I'll, I guess yeah. For you young kids who haven't seen Groundhog Day, you should you should just go watch it right now. Yeah, so the plot is Bill Murray wakes up on Groundhog's Day and he realizes that he is just repeating the day that he lived yesterday and no matter what he does he wakes up tomorrow uh starting today over right and he's the only one who remembers it um which gives him the opportunity to like try every different possible scenario of every kind of action and figure out what the most optimal one is Mm -hmm. so i would say like if you are new to using time travel this is one of the most fun and one of the easiest scenarios to run because within like whatever the time reset scale is nothing really matters like it can't get screwed up you know if if they want to be murder murder hobos and like start killing everyone in the village that's totally fine like everyone will be fine tomorrow it's also a good opportunity for players to be able to experiment to figure out exactly what the parameters are right like bill murray slowly like realizes that if he dies the day resets so it doesn't he doesn't need to be careful you know, he, all that does is like start his day over. Eventually he starts like killing himself just, yeah, just for fun. Right. No longer looks both ways before crossing the street. Yeah. And then eventually like he just knows when the cars are going to be there. Right. Yeah. And, and another 
important piece of this is that the set of circumstances that are required to end this loop are not known to the to the characters. So like Bill Murray doesn't know what it is that he needs to do to end this Groundhog Day loop. Like Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, yeah, don't know like what they need to accomplish in order to like the exact set of events that they need to perform in order to end their loop. Right. They do know that like each time they they get further along in revealing whatever it is that is happening during this day, right? Um, so they're still motivated to to get somewhere. And with your with players, it's sort of the same thing. Like, oh, we want to know what happens next. What's behind that next door? Oh, let's get back to that door because, and this time we'll dodge the trap because we know it's there. Right. So I think that depends on the play style of your party. Um, you can do this because it's an RPG um, by using like the same die rolls like every time you go through a step. Right. So like you search for traps. You roll save to avoid the damage from that trap you uh move into the room and you fight the orcs yeah like uh okay the orc charges the orc always charges uh the orc rolls uh to hit ac 18 like it does every single time and deals um 15 points of damage it doesn't matter which pc walks in first right so like if the rogue gets hit because their ac is 16 next time send in the paladin first uh, and the 18 misses. Great, they don't take any damage. Like it, It's a nice bit of rewarding player knowledge, although it is a lot of paperwork. The alternative is to treat it like a decision tree, right? So when the characters make a meaningful decision like that they, they want to continue, they are able to perfectly replicate those circumstances in order to recreate that tree up to that point. So, you know, like I went and got breakfast at the diner, and then I walked across the street and uh, sent some mail, and then I came back home cool what did you do when you get home that's now the operative area that we're going to work yeah exactly like the 19th time that they're fighting the same orc in the hallway like okay let's not worry about what the attack rolls are like okay we defeat the orc right actually we probably defeat the orc perfectly right you know because we know exactly where he's going to hit and who he's going to attack and exactly what his rolls are going to be so let's just make sure we never take any damage you do want to play up the tension between getting out of the loop and then having the players get everything that they want, right? So maybe uh, near the end or near the end of the session or or that arc, they they do discover like what it is that will get them out of the loop. Maybe it's killing the enemy or like getting through a certain door or taking a certain potion or whatever. What if uh, one of them has died on the way on this particular iteration? Do they reset do they voluntarily reset try it all again try to get essentially a perfect score or do they say you know what we may not have another chance to get out of here or what if fate has conspired that one of them must die in the loop oh that's how they get out requirement yeah they can they can finish him but if they all live the loop isn't over you're a terrible person that's a i mean that's tough (laughs) tough sell (laughs) it depends on which one of us it is (laughs) cut off a hand go (laughs) All right, so the next situation is uh, is the back to the future, which is, you know, uh, you break it, you buy it. Yeah, the past has been changed somehow. Uh, usually you kind of skip straight to it. You don't necessarily even play through how, how the past got changed. The party needs to fix it. This is like uh, the Ray Bradbury story, A Sound of Thunder. It's where it ends. You just sort of pick up play there. Like, the world is terrible now. We have to figure out what happened, and we've got to make it what it was before. 
Yeah. So when you do this, like your the intent is to go back in time and change things. So you want to make sure that the party has set some goals for what it is they're going to do, because they're going to have a lot of leeway. And um, frankly, you can butterfly effect anything that you want. So like you you need to make sure that they are focused on a target. Um, you know, is it that they want to set things back to the way it was and what they remember or what they expected? Or should they do something to prevent a bad outcome that they want to um, avoid? Like what is their what is their goal? Yeah, this is the like, do we have to go make sure that that one butterfly wasn't killed because that caused that massive chain reaction? Like, does it need to be exactly the way that it was? Because if not, then like the universe implodes. Uh, or is it like Back to the Future where I mainly got things back together? Like, I just needed to get my parents together, but nothing's really like the way that it was, but it's better for me. So, hey, great. <laughs> right. The key here is that if you are intending for the party to actually succeed in their goal, then they need to be able to either predict and anticipate how their changes are going to play out through history. Maybe by looking at a photograph that's slowly fading away. Or they need to be able to make multiple trips so they can kind of iterate. <laughs> um, and the multiple trips aspect of this is basically like Time Watch, um, the the gumshoe game about time traveling to stop Nazis. Yeah, it's basically, okay, we did like a relatively quick scenario in the past. We go back to the present. Crap, everything's different. And this is this is fun for a GM because they can be like, oh, here's an entire world that is totally screwed up and, and on its head and that's your fault. And here's how it changed specifically because of the changes that you made. But, you know, it's just a quick description because most likely the party is in like, all right, back in the time machine. Let's try this again. Yep. If you don't want to go whole hog into like actually traveling back to the past, you can do uh, a version I like to call Echoes of the Past. In this scenario, the PCs remain in the present, but uh, images or people or maybe even locations from the past appear in the present or they communicate with the present. Uh, this is basically the movie Frequency, where like uh, Jim Caviezel is uh, talking with uh, his dad, Dennis Quaid, in the past at the same time through like an old crappy ham radio. So players need to be able to affect the past in some way. Otherwise, like time travel doesn't come into play. All it is is, you know, we're getting information from somewhere else and like who cares that it's actually from the past. Like, yeah. oh, I'm reading a book, whatever. Right, it could just be one great simulation. But the fun option here is that changes in the past can spin out in real time. So they can even like affect combat, for example. So like if you're talking to someone in the past, a thousand years ago, uh, and, you know, you're standing on the edge of a precipice. You just say, hey, write this down. Make sure this happens. I need a bridge built at these specific locations. It needs to be a bridge that's going to last a thousand years. Make a stone bridge happen. And, you know, if they're successful, then great. Like a stone bridge magically appears in front of you because it's always been there for the last thousand years. Yeah. And, and in those cases, you're going to want to make sure that you have some type of like narrative function in place that that highlights those things but also explains them away right like these things that are just being created out of the blue and like these memories that are being changed for all the people like who are interacting with them right like that bridge has always been there but you're witnessing it like you need you need to narrate and describe like how that bridge comes into formation yeah this is also a, a nice time to maybe make some small interesting iterative changes that uh, your party will appreciate specifically. And, you know, maybe these can be narrated by the players themselves. Like, 
if time is sort of changing on a minute by minute or second by second basis, like if the timeline is sort of getting either polluted or it's very malleable, maybe like suddenly it turns out that there's a, a gender swap, like one character who was like female is now male, but still has the, the same name and the same gear in the same class. Uh, or maybe like one person's character gets swapped with another of their characters from like a, a different game. Uh, you can you can bring in a lot of these references, uh, like somehow in the crazy butterfly effect of the last whatever you know millennia, they've spun out in this particular manner. There's an episode of I think Justice League Unlimited where uh, the time stream is being polluted and the Green Lantern just keeps switching to different Green Lanterns. Oh, that one. Oh no, nope. It's back to the other one. Okay. So the last kind of archetype of time travel that we're going to talk about is sort of a rough draft of history. It makes for a world in which everything about the past can potentially be changed. Yeah, this is the probably the most complicated version of time travel to play in that the entire campaign, like once the party has access to reliable time travel, becomes a giant sandbox. Because- no, it's not a giant sandbox. It's a col- it's an infinite collection of giant sandboxes <laughs> because the whole world becomes a sandbox uh, in iteration, right? Yeah, uh- the the first scenario is like the party is in control of the time travel and can go wherever whenever they want and that just becomes like a player directed game uh the other option is like they they can travel like someone else is doing the traveling for them but any actions that they take have consequences and and result in changes to the timeline that still is is very difficult to pull off in a in a good way. It really requires a GM to stay on their toes and like create entire scenarios or histories wholesale on the fly. Yeah, this is like trying to create Inception in real time. Yeah. <laughs> like like this this is like I'm exhausted even imagining how I would have to do that. The obvious key here is that you're going to have to throw out a lot of planning if you even bother to do it at all and sort of reconcile things in between sessions as best you can. Yeah, I actually need to give props to Angelo here who near the end of our uh, fourth edition campaign had introduced like an element of time travel like, you know, Vecna was screwing with the party and like throwing them back in time so that, you know, we couldn't actually stop him and achieve objectives. Uh, And then there's this one point where like one of the characters says, oh, uh, like I kill Vecna, which was not, a scenario that Angelo had anticipated. Well, that's on him. <laughs> well, Vecna had, you know, pulled all these strings and said, like, if you kill me, basically the universe gets erased, right? So, like, we had done a lot to, like... <laughs> Dare. Stop, right, yeah, exactly. We'd done a lot to stop Vecna without quite killing Vecna, and then one character was like, no, I, I, like, I kill Vecna. Let's just see what happens. And Angelo, to his credit, like, basically let us re- rewrite the entire timeline. He was like, all right, everything is, like, spinning out and all the stuff I had planned before I'm just going to sort of move to the side like you let me know the changes that you're making and then we'll end this session and when we come back like everything's going to be different based on what you do and then of course you can always mix and match these archetypes right like that's kind of what makes time travel an exciting proposition is that like you have elements of this mixed with elements of that and now like no one has ever seen the movie Groundhog Day but also like Looper (laughs) right like what would happen if that were the time travel rules like i don't even know but we'll figure it out in real time mostly based on what we predict will happen and what i like is the gm yeah and what the players come up with they say ah i reason that this must be the case right i bet if i do this and then that this will happen and it's like i like that 
That will happen. Or, <laughs> yes, but with a twist. Yeah. <laughs> that is what was always intended to happen, and you have figured it out. Right. Good job. You figured it out this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to give Angelo another shout-out here. He In that same uh, fourth edition campaign, he set up this scenario where we had the choice between basically making time mutable or non-mutable. Um, he took all of our backstories, like all our backstories of woe, like, oh, this terrible thing happened to me, and that's why I'm an adventurer. Um, and basically had Vecna tell the party, okay, you're the only ones who can stop me. I understand that. Uh, but if these terrible things hadn't happened to you, you wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be adventurers able to stop me, right? So sending you back in time to m- make sure that these terrible things happen to you. And if you don't do that, then you're not, you'll never be adventurers and the universe ends. So it was basically... This, like, throwaway line of, oh, like, uh, my family was uh, murdered and I'm an orphan, whatever, basically became the choice between, okay, don't be an adventurer and, like, sort of lose the storyline or commit these horrible atrocities that you, like, made up on your own. So my character was, like, a noble with in, like a, living in a castle with a massive family uh, who was all, like, murdered in a coup and he only escaped because he was a ranger. Uh, there was no coup. It was my 23rd level ranger going through the entire like palace and murdering all of my kin so that the universe could be saved. Like uh, I snuck into my dad's bedchamber, loomed over his bed, and put two arrows in his chest. Oh, that's so sweet. It, he, he, Angelo made Susie, his real-life wife, open a gate to the nine hells in the basement of her family's home because that was her backstory. Uh, there was a horrible demon incursion. No, no, you did that. well then i think it's safe to say that both angelo and Susie are monsters Susie for her game at thrillicon and angelo for everything else (laughs) you know but we all learn something about ourselves that's that's why we that's why we role play right well speaking of consequences (laughs) the the consequences of time travel are sort of where the excitement comes from right so it's important that each big decisions that players make have some effect on the timeline If they destroy a building or kill a person, then that person or thing doesn't exist in the future, and so neither does anything that required it or anything that knew it or anything that depended upon it. Yeah, and this even goes for, like, the non-mutable situations. Even if nothing can change, remember that, like, the characters don't all have perfect knowledge of what happened in the past, you know? So they take actions. Those will still have consequences in the future that they just may not have foreseen. I also really like that little decisions, like little throwaway decisions that they thought didn't really mean much or didn't even think about when they were doing also have consequences. Random person that they like bought something from in the market remembers them or something like that. You also need to make sure that, that it is apparent how the party or uh, the, like, the normal timeline in the present is benefiting from saving the past, like uh, above and beyond simply maintaining the status quo. So, you know, if you're if they're doing all of this work to sort of get back to where we were before, and it feels like there's no progress being made, you know, so it, it's a lot more fun if um, the process can be more dynamic, right? Is, is the final battle occurring actually in the present and the party has gained information or an opportunity to set up some things in the past? Uh, what if the party has access to the site where they know the final battle is going to take place, but they were there 100 years before? Like, mm-hmm. What kind of preparations could they make? Well, what uh, what kind of scouting could they do? What could they place there that they could use later? It's, that's, it's, a, little, it's a little chrono trigger. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of like you set up wards and like arcane runes and like stones of power or like secret artifacts. And right. it's like, it, it, we're going to battle on a weapons cache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hid my sword there. Right. <laughs> Figured I might need this in a hundred years. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got that uh, little magical creature that uh, takes 800 years to fully develop into a, a armored terrifying beast. Yep. The birth of the Tarrasque. <laughs> <laughs> you made that. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, I did. I uh, stuck it in a bag of holding with a bottle of air and uh, like a, a, a tree of good berries. <laughs> no wonder it's so angry. Uh, so there will also be consequences on your relationships uh, with NPCs and also within the party. But people that are important to you might now be dead uh, family lines or legends might remain or might also suffer things like the names of locations or different customs could, yeah, east could would, have changed east would ravine right yeah <laughs> um even like deities and belief systems could change because of the intervention of the pcs yeah i like the idea of a particularly devout uh, pc accidentally having started some sort of cult of themselves you know, just because oh, they accidentally. were accidentally <laughs> depends on if you're Lou or not, or you're your characters from the prologue of, of Dynasty Unwarranted creating assassins cults. <laughs> I like the idea that um, essentially the two groups are competing for worshipers, right? That the church that they belong to and that they believe in their actual deity, and then whatever it is named after them, right? <laughs> um, whoops, yep. It was not my intention. I was just trying to be a nice person and save those villagers 600 years ago. That's what that's what Tira did, actually. She's a time traveler. I mean, She wasn't trying to char- start a church. That's Yeah, that's basically a church of Silver Flame. <laughs> like, it's not like she worshipped the Silver Flame before she became it. <laughs> no, yeah, she worshipped uh, Dol Ara. Right. Yeah, she was uh, a paladin of, like, justice. And mm. she was like, I, I'm, just, uh, I'm just trying to kill an overlord, not just, trying to start a church. Just doing my thing. Whoops. So, what are some of the pitfalls of time travel? The most obvious one, I think, of course, is paradox. Yeah, like, there's something that we know that happened because we just did it, but it couldn't have happened because we know our history, you know, or vice versa. So, this is a good opportunity to retcon here. Um, Hey, it it turns out that, like, that did actually happen. Uh, The history books were wrong, uh, and somehow it got covered up. Like, the Catholic Church swept in and basically made sure that nobody knew about anything that you did here. There was a big purge later. Congratulations. Yeah. And that's how the men in black got created. Yeah. Uh, you can also mislead. There, No one has perfect information. Uh, so it's relatively simple to come up with a way uh, where the information that the party thought they had was was not true or vice versa. I mean, yeah, the situation where it turns out that, like, your parent was illegitimate. Whoops. Or, you know, did you even see what you thought you saw originally? Because now you're seeing things from a, a different angle or from literally like the other side of the village square where like you have a longer view and have more of the context of the event. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about Time Watch is the way that it handles these paradoxes. It tends to keep the decisions you make pretty linear. Like the the game itself kind of encourages you to like, cool, so if you need to stop this person from doing something, like, yeah, you can go back and like, you know, you don't have to kill their parents. You can just prevent them from getting married, you know? And, like, everything will just kind of work itself out conveniently. But if you start doing things that are too extreme, it has, like, basically, like, a paradox mechanic that is, like, a damage track. 
And as that gets too high, then you start to like lose predictability of the time stream. So it kind of abstracts all those little paradoxes out into, into a mechanic so that the, the GM isn't constantly like stressed by having to sort all of these like micro paradoxes out. Oh, interesting. So the time stream like kind of repairs itself. It has like an HP track essentially. I mean, narratively it repairs itself. Mm. Like you kind of hand wave all those things of like, yeah, of course, like that's all within the realm of what you guys could clean up afterwards or like what other time agents can clean up afterwards. Like, don't worry about those things. But if you do super big things, right? Like it's fundamentally about fighting Nazis in the time stream, right? So like you can't go and kill Hitler because then you wouldn't have a game. <laughs> so like that's too big of a paradox. The time stream couldn't handle that. So you have to like just battle the agents instead. Yeah, you just played a game of that, yeah? Yeah, we did it on uh, DSPN Presents, the uh, the live stream from Don't Split the Podcast Network. And there is talk of getting back together to continue it. So Uh-oh. I, I guess it went well. <laughs> uh, the other big problem with running time travel games is uh, predestination malaise if you already know that nothing you do matters uh, or that you can't change things then why even bother i think you had this uh, brand had this in morning glory when like you weren't sure that you couldn't change anything but you were surmising and there was talk of like let's just sit let's just sit on the ground and wait three days till the day of morning and just see what happens because this is going to pass yep that was brand's way of not being responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have caused it. Oh, yeah, you caused it by omission. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically what the party decided was like, yeah, it sure seems like we could do that, but we could try. <laughs> like, it can't end up worse. <laughs> right, yeah, it can't It can't be worse than the whole nation of Seer being destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> and, and somehow you guys were like, oh, yeah, brand is the evil one. <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> I tried to not be responsible for this. I mean, it was it was still early. Uh, you were still relatively new to the group, so I think people were just confusing your real self with your uh, character. <laughs> well, I had only recently become a half-elf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Through a very explainable circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, who doesn't walk into a portal and come out different on the other side? <laughs> what do you think portals are there for? Read a freaking book. So in in this circumstance, I think it's useful to um, make what history was be the good outcome, like the best possible scenario. You can't make it better, obviously, because you can't change time, but you can ruin it. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going back to like stop Nazis, you can't, like you said, kill Hitler. You can't um, end the war early, right? Because that didn't happen. But you can stop the Nazis from getting a nuke. Right. Because... That didn't happen. And if they do get a nuke, well, then, like, time goes off the rails. And, you know, all of you are dead anyway because, like, you're vaporized in a mushroom cloud. Right. Game and, over. And, like, in the morning glory example, like, yes, we did cause the day of morning. But in the process, we stopped uh, Rautel Kesh, the Rage of War, from, like, surviving and then crushing Corvair. Right. And these these weren't retcons of, like, what happened according to history. They were just things that weren't known about. It was yeah, exactly. It was explaining the events leading to the day of mourning, not changing the fact that the day of mourning happened. Right. And so, you know, with the World War II scenario, the the party had always stopped the Nazis from getting a nuke. Just we didn't know about it because it was top secret. Right. So I think to wrap up the topic, 
you know, time travel can be a very rewarding thing to introduce into your game and it can it can add that feeling of really like tying together all of the um, agency that the players have experienced over the course of the campaign into sort of a, a final satisfying like bow on top but it is risky yeah it can definitely go poorly and so i think on both sides gms and players you want to sort of go into this knowing that some things are kind of up in the air and everyone is working together to get some sort of uh, both realistic and satisfactory conclusion. Like, maybe don't try to totally wreck the past just to see what happens unless you're 100% sure that like everything's about to reset. Yeah, I think that's that's an important note is that you want to make sure that you have a good like player group for this because if you are dealing with a group of murder hobos or even just a group with a murder hobo, you can really just end up shooting yourself in the foot because of that. But my foot doesn't have a bullet hole in it, Shane. I couldn't have shot myself in the foot. You got better. Also, that's not your real foot. I'm a cyborg. Well, do you hear that, Ishan? No, I don't have ears. I only have oral processors. Well, that can mean only one thing. It's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you, even if we don't have ears. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. Shane, let me ask you this. Why didn't the Terminator just pay Sarah Connor to not have kids? Because uh, it was against his programming. Dumb. Skynet, dumb. Doesn't understand people of the 80s. They could have been like, uh, we'll uh, just give you some stock market numbers. Or here's this book with baseball scores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Highlander, who I am led to believe is a time traveler only in the Rip Van Winkle sense in that they live forever and so end up time displaced. Okay. Yes? Yes. We'll take that. Sure. All right. So maybe there was some speculation out there uh, among you what kind of Highlander we would be doing. We are, in fact, doing the Highlander from the movies and the series. Immortal weapon masters who duel to become the last one standing to win the game. So the rules of the Highlander is that they can only be killed through beheading, and they die if they take massive damage, but then revive shortly thereafter. Yeah, they've got other, you know, kind of undefined abilities, depending on which terrible sequel you're watching. Well, they're really good at adopting accents that are uh, from faraway regions. Yes, and they have nothing to do with their purported last name. Right. <laughs> Sean Connery is an Egyptian. What? He's he's an Egyptian with a Spanish last name and <laughs> Sean Connery's accent. And and also <laughs> lily white skin. In New York. Did he make it to New York? I don't remember. I, do you know how young I was when those movies came out? I actually think I've only Maybe actually not seen born. the second one. Oh, the, really? I saw that in theaters, though. Dear Lord, you poor thing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, don't worry. I can't tell you anything about it. Oh, good. Because it was maybe the worst movie of all time mm, i don't know about that so what's the build it is kensei monk 17 hunter ranger 3 
All right, so from Ranger, we get the standard package tracking primeval awareness. Of course, this will help you track down other immortals so you can cut their heads off. And you can do a little extra damage with that with your Hunter's Mark. Um, you can also heal yourself with Cure Wounds. Which I guess would probably just be like regenerating because yeah. you regenerate all wounds except getting your head cut off. Right. Um, and then, of course, Colossus Slayer is sort of the gem of the early Ranger gives you uh, extra damage to targets who have already taken damage yeah and and you know it's nice to stack that with hunter's market as well because it doesn't require a bonus action yep Uh, now monk might seem like a strange choice given that we're doing the highlander who is from scotland however but you had to get immortality right (laughs) immortality and also you have to be really good with a katana because apparently everyone only uses katanas once they've been around for like a thousand years yeah it makes sense but Bear with me. All right, so you get armor, armor, armor defense, right? Because they never wear armor. Yeah, right? they just get like leather jerkins. Yeah, or like um, you know those pirate shirts that are un unla- unlooped all the way down to like the waist. Okay. <laughs> uh, key and extra attack because of course you're uh, a, an impressive fighter. Um, evasion because sometimes they're just able to superhumanly dodge out of the way. I want to give a shout out to patient defense and step of the wind, which I think we don't talk about that much. It does a really good job of emulating a duelist, like someone who can dodge out of the way um, or make sort of like superhuman leaps from like building to building or across vines and swinging things. I don't know. There are like seven seasons of that show. So like all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Immune to disease and poison, which I believe immortals are. And well, I mean, unless those diseases or poisons cause their heads to fall off, I think they'll be safe. <laughs> terrible, terrible poisons that make your head explode off your neck. Uh, timeless body is, of course, how we're going to get our actual immortality. Now, keep in mind that at level 14, all monks get proficiency in all saving throws. This is something that is typically overlooked, but that also includes death, death saving, saving throws. throws. Yes, which is, I think, proficiency at that is what level is it's what? Plus five? five. Yeah. So you're, you're getting a plus five. And you only need a 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a there's an excellent, excellent chance that if you are knocked unconscious and no one then cuts your head off, right? Because they, that that's what happens with the mortals. If you're knocked unconscious relatively soon, you are going to uh, revive yourself with three successful death saving throws. Yep. So Kensei gives you some more abilities. Uh, first of all, you get your Kensei weapon, which you can then use your katana uh with your monk abilities yeah and you know you can use it to agile parry by striking not with the katana but sort of keeping it in reserve to get plus two to ac i like that you get way of the brush it's very flavorful here i mean when you're like 400 years old you spend some time learning how to be like a renaissance man or woman you know you take up painting or i guess smith smithing right because you gotta make your sword again and again uh, Death Strike lets you do a little extra damage, which is nice because it also stacks with Colossus Slayer and Hunter's Mark, so you can actually put out a lot of damage with just a few hits. Yep, Sharpen the Blade will give you effectively a, like a magical weapon bonus um, in exchange for key points. And at high levels, at Monk 17, you get Unerring Accuracy, which just lets you re-roll a missed attack once per round. Because, you know, you're that good and all. So in terms of leveling order, you've got a lot of flexibility here. I would probably start with Ranger and then take monk to five and then from there it really doesn't matter just take the next coolest ability you can get yeah i agree um splash ranger monk five definitely so ishan who is your highlander my highlander 
is actually an alien from the future who uh, was instrumental in a rebellion against the uh, fascist overlords who then, uh, as punishment, was uh, sent to Earth in the far future to take part in some ridiculous game, which is the plot to Highlander 2 The Quickening. (laughs) That's the one I saw, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. You and everyone else should just forget that movie. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Shane, who's your Highlander? So my Highlander is an assassin. We mentioned assassin cults earlier, and I, I feel like that's where my Highlander really comes in, is that there was a, a monastery that trained young and impressionable minds to become little more than immortal killing weapons, to be manipulated, of course, by um, the leaders of that monastery. It was their way of exerting political control. And uh, my Highlander broke free obviously it's a highlander because this monastery was in the highlands um broke free of the control of the monastery but didn't lose their skills right didn't lose the discipline didn't lose the the willingness to kill but now needs to clean up the mess is morally obligated to clean up the mess and so my highlander travels around generally doing the best that uh he can but whenever he catches wind of of any other highlander he has to slay them Starts taking heads. Mm-hmm. I like it. You know, to to kind of limit the number of things you got to deal with, you could you could say that he kind of like killed the head of the monastery on his way out the door. You know, like that, that's probably fine. Yeah, it's a very uh, Batman Begins right. kind of way to do it. Also, burn the monastery down. Right. Well, naturally, yeah. No more Highlanders <laughs> could be created. <laughs> also, you know, sow some seeds of distrust so they don't work together. Like all those kinds of things. Turns out, though, the master of the monastery, the one guy he saved. Oh, interesting. (laughs) All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And check your email if you are a winner from our Audible giveaway of Sly Flourish's fantastic locations. Um, You should have the download code sitting in your email if you are a winner. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do that, we will read it on the air. Just like this one. Enjoyable and educational. Five stars by Fam Squad's Batman. Recently became a DM for D&D 5th Edition, and the episodes provide interesting ideas and concepts that help my campaign. Thanks for inspiring me. Highly recommend this. Can't stop listening. Down 87 episodes. That is approximately halfway these days. Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, incredible, and thank you. We also want to take a second to tell you that Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press, which has put out the Zobek Gazetteer. It's your guide to 5th edition adventure in this merchant city forged in the fires of revolt. Use it with the Midgard World Book or bring Zobek into your homebrew campaign setting. Within its pages, you'll find Zobek's districts and locations, including the famed Arcane Collegium and the notorious Kobold Ghetto. There's guilds, gangs, gods along with other NPCs to challenge or aid your players. Uh, there's also uh, golems, maybe? Golems, probably? Gearforged, right? Yeah, Gearforged. Um, Grump, Grumpy. There's Grumpsh. Uh, Grump, Grumpsh is everywhere. Yeah. Grumpy merchants. Yep. That's only because I keep stealing from them. Yep, groundlings. <laughs> A new clockwork wizard school and new magic items, including the bag of traps, the chronomancer's pocket clock, and the red lady scalpel. Um, What's a pocket clock? Oh, it's like... Um, it's like a Polly Pocket. No, what was the clock from uh, Beauty and the Beast? What was his name? 
I don't know, but something French. Yeah, something French probably means clock. Yeah, it's that. You know, you just got to have big pockets. Could Every you... clock is a pocket clock if your pockets are the <laughs> right size right. is what I'm saying. However, wasn't she like, wasn't Belle like a 16th century French maiden? Would she have pockets in her petticoats? Uh, is it 16th? I feel like they were like 18th century. That's... I don't think that actually, late. I don't know That's... enough about fashion to know if that actually changes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, uh, I bet it's parabolic, right? I bet in the old days, lots of pockets and then few pockets and now we're seeing more pockets. So, <laughs> And therefore pocket clocks. So back to the Zobek Gazetteer, you'll also find new player character backgrounds, mounts, and racial feats for humans and Gearforged. Those humans never getting enough racial feats. Well, they're the only ones who can use them at first level, so... Also true. Uh, there's also much more. Whether you're riding into the free city via its great northern road or creeping in through a smuggler's tunnel, Zobek awaits you. Head to cobaltpress.com and pick up your copy today. Or even right now. Link in the show notes. So, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on the nine alignments, and we're talking about playing chaotic good characters. And in the character creation forge? We are building Disney's Robin Hood. Well, that's it for episode 160 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.